Your life as it has been is over. That face is on some fun. Let's be ready for anything. Welcome to Set Phasers to Fun. Welcome to... I'm just going to say everything that you say, only I'm going to repeat it with more enthusiasm. That's what we need. That is what we need. <laughs> My name's Charlie Fonville. Oh, see, you've trapped me in a corner there, because I can't repeat you. I mean, I could say my name is Charlie Fonville, but I lack credibility. My name is, in fact, Megan Gogarty. I am a playwright and comedian, and I also live in Iowa, which makes me glamorous and exciting. I am a uh, producer. I have a little production company in Los Angeles, California, and we make a lot of comedy-type things. And this is a podcast about Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, I don't know that we need one, but we're doing it. We, we want to contribute to the canon. That's true. Star Trek enthusiast, I guess. Yes, an enthusiast. I didn't know I was until recently, but I am. What tipped it for you? Just watching all of the, the episodes back to back? So my wife, Lauren, um, watches... She's, it's kind of on the downswing, but she watched the Gilmore Girls on repeat on a loop for f- five years. Like, DVDs wouldn't play anymore because she watched them so much. Uh, wow. And I kind of realized that I was doing that. Like, almost every... Night, you know, after everything was kind of put to sleep, I, I would watch an episode of Next Generation. I feel like the Gilmore Girls gives you a little bit more hipster cred. Like, there's some shows that people can fall in love with, and you'll be like, yeah, of course, it's completely reasonable. And then there are shows where men wear miniskirts, there are characters like Worf, and they drink prune juice, and they're, they're sort of like unreasonable shows to love. Right. I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and, think that, and say that I think that Star Trek might be kind of nerdy. It's a groundbreaking cinema, but yeah, I think you might be, I think you might be right. Thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. Tell me about your history with Star Trek, The Next Generation. My history of Star Trek, The Next Generation is as follows. It was on the air, and I watched it when it was on the air. Somehow, I inherited my mother got a new tv and she gave me her old tv which was like this giant enormous like the tv the size of a car like really heavy like how they made them back in the day and and it was installed in my room and then i fell into the rabbit hole of star trek next generation and it was on and like the show right before it was like married with children Mm -hmm. which i had to sit through to get to Star Trek The Next Generation, which tells you a lot about where I was in my TV. So this is, it started in 1987, I think. Yeah, it did. And how old were you? I must have come in on the first season since I remember Tasha Yar. Sure. So I must have come in early, like seventh grade. And I remember, uh, yeah, same story. I didn't have a TV in my room or anything fancy, but uh, I remember... Yeah, I watched every episode. I could not get enough. And I wasn't like a huge fan of the original series. I'd never really seen it because it wasn't on... All we had were three channels back in those days. That's right. Uh, I never watched that. You know what? I still have never watched the original series. I've seen like the greatest hits kind of episodes like that you would have on a VHS collection. Uh, but I haven't seen the whole thing, no. I think I have seen um, Kirk kissing Ohura like 70 different times sure. in various like, isn't this the best, you guys? Look at how, how progressive they were, you guys. Like that kind of framing. Right. 
but I will say I, the, the parts I like the least about the next generation are kind of the old style Star Trek stuff, like from the first couple seasons. Yes. The, like the the mini skirt uniforms and the wacky fun jokes that they think they're doing. Like that <laughs> stuff's terrible. Yeah, I um I agree. Although I have to say I have a serious fondness for uh, the mini skirt uniforms, especially when the men wear them. <laughs> sure. There's sure. just so, something so charming and optimistic <laughs> about that. Uh, now, so when was the last time you watched uh, the episodes? I, uh, this morning, I was watching the episode where Jordy is afraid he might turn into an alien from season four. The, the, the UV where they can't see him. They need the special flashlights. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was just dipping into that a little bit. That's a fun one. Get a little broody, Jordy. Um. A couple of years ago, uh, on Thanksgiving, I guess it was like three Thanksgivings ago, there was a marathon on BBC America, and I hadn't watched them at all since I was, you know, since they were on TV. So I went, I watched the whole marathon until like 3 a.m. How exciting! And then to come to find out, they're all on Netflix and your Hulu's. <laughs> so I, I've watched all of them within the last yes. two years, and there's some good ones, and there's some, there's some not good ones. Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it went through some ups and downs certainly, but I am so forgiving of it. I'm way more cons- forgiving of it now than I might have been even five years ago. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite episode? You know, okay, so we had talked about this, like what we should talk about our favorite episodes and our least favorite episodes, and I was really stumped for a long time, and so I narrowed it down because I was like, how can I choose between my babies? But I narrowed it down. Um, and I changed the criteria to what was my favorite funny episode okay. and what was my least favorite funny episode. All, all, right. all right. So my favorite funny episode is Deja Q. Probably because all of the Q episodes are easily in my, like, pantheon of greatest. Is Deja Q when he loses his powers? Yes, is when he loses his powers and he learns, ironically, how to be human. From Data, oh, you guys, who's yeah, not man. actually human at all. Data. The irony. The funny lines. I'll have ten chocolate sundaes. Ten? I'm in a really bad mood. It's hilarious. Plus, John Delancey is so sort of charmingly theatrical in that right. role. Right, right. He's all like, wherefore art that mine powers? But just in spirit. Just in spirit. And there was a mariachi band in that episode. There was! Because what? how better to celebrate your returning omniscience than with a mariachi band? Not at all a reference to the era that the show is being filmed in. <laughs> That's my other favorite thing, is that all of the historical references oddly have to do with North America in the 20th century and, and around there. Right. Like, there's never any, like, flashbacks to the 23rd century dance craze uh i remember there's a line in one of the episodes where uh data calls television a uh, 20th century fad uh and i thought <laughs> there's nothing more clever than that in the world that's ever happened and uh turns out there is um <laughs> my favorite episode is i think season six it's called the chase um it is where uh picard's archaeology mentor gets killed by some people because he's trying to find some stuff and it turns out it's like the genetic code for every humanoid like everybody's related like all the klingons and the romulans and the 
Cardassians and all these enemies are, are completely, they're all cousins and they all learn something at the end. Um, I just thought uh. it's just so good. And it's like, I thought if you kind of amp the story up a little bit, it's kind of like, it could have been a movie. That is a good one. I'd forgotten about that one. Directed by Frakes. Oh, Frakes. I have such fondness for him as a, as a human figure. We're going to do a whole episode about the chair sitting thing, (laughs) but that, he did the best Star Trek movie. Yes. He did, you know, some of the better episodes. It's, uh, yeah, he's, he's great. Yes. Maybe we'll get him on the podcast. We should. We totally should. We should call in all of our celebrity cameos. Okay. So our mutual friend, Alexis, apparently made out with Will Wheaton when she was 14 and they were in an acting class together. Uh, as part of an exercise or in a... No, just in oh. life. Just kind of like, let's make out. All right. And of course, it's the the experience was completely lost on her because she's not a nerd at all. Right. So what happened was she was at my house and I was wearing my uh, Wesley Crusher hoodie, as you do. Sure. That is a replica of his season one uniform. And he, she was like, why are you wearing that? She thought it was like Rastafarian. And I was like, no, this is the Star Trek The Next Generation callback this is what wesley crusher wore played by will wheaton she was like oh yeah i think i made out with that guy in a party and i was like you would you would make out with will wheaton i like that she thinks that she did <laughs> i'm never gonna feel this way about anyone else you're right my favorite not funny episode is chain of command when picard gets captured by that cardassian and is tortured and he's like there are four lights anytime um picard can emote i'm all 100 percent behind I'll share with you my least favorite funny episode. Oh, please do. Um, the Naked Now, which oh, is the yeah. one where they all get pretend drunk and Yar sleeps with Data. I just don't buy it. It lacks credibility. The whole thing, stem to stern. I don't buy it at all. And I understand yeah. it's the second episode of the first season and whatever. They're trying to figure it out. But like right. her so-called sexy uniform that she wears with her belly button. Yeah. I just don't. The whole thing reeks of suspicion. I'm going to disagree with you on that point because that was great. <laughs> Maybe I was the wrong demographic. <laughs> uh, but yes, I agree. Like everything from season one and two, just not, not, not really doing it. You know, I find it so charming though. A lot of it I find really charming. Like, um, I remember hating with a vivid passion, Dr. Pulaski, like hating her and watching it now. I feel like, oh, this show wanted me to hate Dr. Pulaski. Like she has no... She she is doomed from the very beginning. What calling data data and just like her whole thing is like if I were to write an unlikable character, like if I'm like how do I get people to hate her immediately? Like I would write Dr. Pulaski. She has no redeeming qualities ever at all. I mean her big love interest is Moriarty for God's sake. I mean do you know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Like she has no redeeming exactly. qualities. We are doomed, and so they must want me to hate her. In which case, then I think you know touche. Star Trek writers, like, you were successful. Right. I, I don't want to get too into, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff, because that's not that interesting. But I guess one of the producers didn't like Gates McFadden, and so got rid of her. Uh, but so everybody sp- else did. Yeah, that was dumb. And they brought her back. And she was she's great. She was great. I think, but she's a terrible doctor. Dr. Crusher. <laughs> Dr. Crusher is a terrible doctor. There's the episode where, like, something that she tried ended up almost killing everybody or turning everybody back into monkeys or something. And she's like, you know, partly this is my fault because I released this horrible uh, thing on the ship. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's all it's all your fault. 
Yeah, she is terrible. My least favorite funny stuff is when Data does the voices. When they give him like different personalities or when he has to be uh, that. I really don't like that. Yeah, Data as as Sherlock Holmes yeah. or Data as... Or when he Data starred in The Christmas Carol. Yeah. I'll, so he could uh, learn what fear is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. And not, nothing against Brent Spiner, because I think he's a terrific actor, but... Well, he's delightful. And deeper than did ever plummet sound. I'll... Captain? Sir, your attention is wandering. I think most of the least favorite things are our first, second season. The one where Tasha dies is terrible. Uh, Except it was such a sweet relief because I hated Tasha Yar. Well, they just didn't give her anything to do, and I understand why she wanted to leave the show. Um, Yeah, I liked her so much better when she was reincarnated as Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica. Right. (laughs) Then suddenly I was like, oh, yes, Tasha Yar found a home in my heart, only I'm going to call her Starbuck. It's It's almost like Ron Moore should have been involved from the beginning. Well, sure. Boy, the show does noticeably pick up when he joins. Do you remember this, the, um, is it at the end of season one, the cliffhanger where it's like, oh, the highest levels of Starfleet have been uh, infiltrated by like an alien parasite creature. Yeah, I do. And they're like, oh, glad that's over. (laughs) Oh, because they did the thing where they killed the main one. Yeah, they killed the main one and they're like, well, glad, glad that's done. Like it has sort of no... I, I'm so spoiled, right? Like, we come in the age of, like, the serial television golden years where you expect, you know, consequences to behaviors. But, like, the, here's this, like, the highest levels of government have been corrupted, and then they're like, ah, oh, that's over, hands washed. Let, on to season two! Don't you hate Pulaski? Sometimes they're like, you know, you kind of wish the episodes were a little bit longer. Like, the stories are really good, and, you know, you could you could watch another 10, 15 minutes of it. You could you could watch it in an hour as opposed to 45 minutes. But sometimes it's like, wow, there's a lot of holodeck to fill this puppy out. And I understand. They had to make... Can you imagine? Like, nobody makes 22 episodes of something. No. Anymore. Um, I found out my, favorite, my least favorite funny one. All right, let's hear it. Uh, the game, where Wesley comes back, and everybody's playing this stupid visor thing right the game which then hypnotizes you that's the one where wesley gets to make out with ashley judd yeah and talk about um just getting out of the episode like data all of a sudden wakes up and saves everybody when they're like about to fly the ship and to give the ship over or whatever whatever they're trying to do with it yeah data saves the ship a lot and yet people don't hate him the way they hate wesley for saving the ship I think it's because a lot of Star Trek viewers want to see themselves as a data and are, in fact, Wesley's. Absolutely. So there's some self-hate happening there. Wesley is that, uh, the Luke Skywalker line, I was going to the Tashi station to pick up some power converters. He is that for (laughs) six years. Yeah, he just, he just, that's it. He never, he never learns the force. Right. (laughs) He never is humbled in front of Yoda. He never has to run through a, a... of yeah. the Dagobah system. And he turns out to be a god at some point, or like he's going to go learn the ways of the travelers or whatever it is. Uh, okay, Charlie. So I was reviewing the list of episode titles in preparation for this, and do you realize that the traveler appears? Like that whole storyline kicks off. It's like the third or fourth episode of season one. Like it's super early. They're like, P.S., you guys, Wesley's a god. Like really early i feel like the main character is a god trope needs to be rolled out way later 
And nothing to suggest that he would have been. Like, his mom is a bad doctor, and his dad was just a guy who was in Starfleet. Like, it wasn't... <laughs> and he was a, he had a penchant for some poorly knit sweaters. He sure did. Uh, he, he wore some doozies. My wife is a, is a costumer also, and uh, boy, she really does not like the, uh, the fashion choices that a lot of the characters make. And I don't either, looking back at them. There's a lot of lot of jumpsuits, a lot of ill-fitting jumpsuits. A lot of jumpsuits. For a while, also they did this on some other sci-fi shows in the 90s, uh, the men's collarless button-up shirt was the sign of, of uh, this is the future. <laughs> like, we've gotten over collars. <laughs> which, is, which is funny, since that's a, a hallmark of the Amish. Right. <laughs> So it's like, in order to be in the future, we must first go into the past. Everything's full circle. Oh, another another terrible one is the one where the the uh, they find the colony and it's all the Irish, tati tati. Oh, oh, that so is bad. that is maybe the mm. the worst. That's worse than the naked now. I'm putting that one up. Yeah, as the worst. It's bad. It's when they all go into Brigadoon, and they're like, yeah. "It's Planet Brigadoon time." Yeah. And then they yeah, go to terrible. the future world. Oh, it's so, that's, that's a mess. And they're like, let's all mate with one another. I don't want to think about the Brigadoon people mating. And what are you staring at? you never seen a woman before. I thought I had. What's your favorite thing about the show? Well, the acting is so good. And also the, the stakes are so high. And, and they like each other. The characters all like each other. Which I, and they, and also I really love it when somebody like Troy will be like, you guys, I have a funny feeling that there's an alien on this ship. And they don't spend the episode being like, Troy's crazy. She's got crazy pants on. Like they're just tech, they just take her at her word. And they're like, yeah, you know what, Troy, you're right. You're a respected member of this queue. If you think, or this crew, you think there's something funky doodle happening. Let's, let's follow the impulse. Like it takes a lot for them to give to take back the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Unless you're Worf, then they don't believe you from jump. <laughs> Worf's job is to give bad advice. They're like, "What do you think we should do, Worf?" And he's like, I, "I don't know. Maybe use a coaster." And they're like, "Definitely not. Water rings for everybody." <laughs> like it doesn't actually matter what he says if it's right. just that's it. Everybody else though, you're you're exactly right. Everybody's a trusted. Everybody's competent. Everybody's good at their job. Yes. Um, I mean, Worf is yes. good at his job. He just kind of, he's got, someone's got to say the opposite of what they should do. And it's always poor, poor Michael Dorn. He gets the short straw every time. They should have had like Pulaski do that permanently. Yeah, that's what she should have been. They should have had two doctors and one is a doctor of bad ideas and the other is a doctor of bad medicine and yet good right. hair. And so you'd have... You'd have Gates McFadden, who's the bad medicine but good hair doctor, who we all like, and then the doctor of bad ideas. Just she, they could just keep her in like a Jeffrey's tube, and she could pop out and be like, "I know, you should attack." And they're like, "No, we don't attack. We're a Star Trek." And then they put We're her back in the Jeffrey's Trek. tube and seal it up until the next episode. We're Star, We're Star Trek. <laughs> we believe in diplomacy. I think that's a great idea. Also, how could there just be one doctor on that ship? I know that everything is done by the thing, but that's a lot of people. That's true. And she has a lot of assistants. She does. But she's like the chief. I don't know if the assistants are actual doctors or if they're all like the futuristic equivalent of a paramedic. Right. They never mention another one that I know of. The ship's operation is fascinating to me. And we'll, we'll have to do a whole episode about the ship. I also really love the episode where when we're talking about Troy 
and her wonky feelings that people take seriously. I love the episode where Troy finds herself suddenly having to be in command. And she's like, oh, I have to be in charge now. And how hard that is for her. And then after that, she wears her uniform all the time. Which I think is a nice, subtle little right. little change. Like, good job, Troy. Put the twins away and put on the uniform and be awesome. Yeah, they did some unfortunate stuff with her. Like, she had to wear that, like... But blue dress for a while, and then she, she wore that blue dress with the matching heels. It has matching tights and heels, yeah. and I'm sorry, but the whole point of living in the future is so that you don't have to wear heels anymore. Right. I, yes. That's what I'm looking forward to. Right. A lot of ill-fitting uniforms. A lot of, yeah, things. Things are not. I don't think things are going to shake out how they thought. No. Or how they production designed. Do you think it would be worse in the future to have to wear matching turquoise heels every day, everywhere? Or to wear that um, jewel-encrusted bun that she wears in season one. Like, which is, which is worse? Oh, I think the heels would be worse, just for comfort's sake. Yeah, I agree. The, I mean, you have to walk slowly in the jewel-encrusted bun, so you, like, you don't hit tops of doors. Right. But I guess I would rather walk slowly and then than hobble. Also, poor Troy, like, her, other, her like, main character thing, uh, other than being able to have emotions, is that she likes chocolate. And <laughs> she's Kathy. Jeez. <laughs> and aerobics. She does a lot of aerobics. Oh, the, the, the about surprising the amount of aerobics that happen. She and Beverly are, are real buds. They do the aerobics and they eat the chocolate and yep. they have the feelings. Right. Oh, poor Troy. I would like real chocolate ice cream, real whipped cream. Also, this has always been my question. Why would you choose to work? If it's the future, no one has to have a job. Like, they all just kind of, like better than i don't know what they do but there there's no money so there's no jobs right why would you choose to be a bartender or a waiter at 10 forward because <laughs> 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 they're not gonna have star fleet people do it i mean there's civilian i guess you get to travel i guess also it's not like anybody's getting drunk they're all drinking synthahol right right so it's not even like you get to see some like delightful brawls you just right. get to see modest people behaving moderately. Yeah. Nobody, uh, no, there's no interpersonal conflict. I wonder if the appeal of the bartender on 10 Forward is, because you've got to understand, like if you don't have to have a job, all your needs are met. And so therefore your career is about like bettering yourself. Like there is a segment of the population that's like, or I could just get stoned all the time. Right. So maybe the equivalent of that, like, how do you do that? Well, you, then you are the bartender. I think the other reason to work in 10 Forward is so that you can work with Guinan, who wears such large hats because they're full of wisdom. That is absolutely the case. Yeah, absolutely. she has to wear the platters because she's platters full of wisdom to offer the crew. Well, she's hundreds of years old. That's right. She looks great. She does, she's, and I love it when I love it when Guinan goes back in time and meets um, Mark Twain, and everyone's like, "It's perfectly reasonable for you to be here in the 19th century." <laughs> we're not gonna. We're also colorblind in the 1880s. Yeah, exactly. There's there we racism. <laughs> what the? There's there's no racism here. I'm Mark Twain. Uh, they don't mind Irish stereotypes though. That show. There was an old. They don't. The, they lean into it. The old. Uh, the old. Uh, landlady in that one I'll be, oh, yeah. I'll be giving me money like it's it's pretty <laughs> it's something <laughs> don't worry madam Guinan 
You're gonna be fine. Uh, the the whimsy of the show is often not effective. Yes, because here's the other thing that makes Star Trek really nerdy, which is that it takes itself really seriously. Right. Which is great. That's the thing I love about it, yeah. is it takes itself really seriously. So when it doesn't take itself seriously, I think it's when it is le- less effective. Right. There's no irony. None. It's Zero. Not a, not a scrap. And if it, if it tries it, it would be, it would be disingenuous. Yes, so even, exactly. So the humor can come off as, as kind of corny. Correct. Especially to our modern eyes. Our jaded modern eyes. <laughs> I can't believe the show went off the air so long ago. I know. I remember seriously mourning when they announced they weren't going to do an additional season. Yeah. Like, I remember being at a convention, and that was announced. And they were like, it's because they decided they could make more money in syndication. And I was like, the bastards! Like, serious. Yeah. Serious weepery. Yeah. That was the convention that I picked up the CD, Old Yellow Eyes, which I really wish I still had. Wish and here's what I'd say. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. I love you in the morning, girl. So you've been to, you've been to a convention. <laughs> I have. I went to one in, in Wichita Falls, Texas. Good job. It, in, uh, it was after the show had ended. It was like maybe 93, 94 with some friends. John Delancey was the special guest. <gasps> He's my favorite. He was the only one. Uh, he. Uh, He's the best one. Yeah, he was entertaining. He talked about... Um, it's funny, at the time, like, he talked about how he and Patrick Stewart really respected each other and, like, had this, like, Shakespearean thing together, which I didn't ever... I never thought, oh, that John Delancey's really understated and... Point about how Q is so theatrical. Like he's so, but in the way that Shakespeare is theatrical. Like there's nothing understated about Shakespeare. So it makes sense that that John Delancey would be all like, "This scenery tastes delicious." Like it makes uh, perfect right. sense to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now some things they did get right about the the future, the show. Everybody's got iPads. Everybody's got yes. Um, you know, the, the displays are pretty... They're old looking now, but it's all touch screen. Yeah, touch screens. Absolutely. Good good job. Good job, uh, writers. Also, the Borg. I really feel like the Borg is, is a real thing. Obviously not like a real, real thing, but like this sort of like collective. I mean, how many times have you been on Facebook and you're like, hey, hive mind, what was the name of whatever? And it's what you're really saying is, hey, Borg, I'm useless without you. Plug into me and make me better. I have a theory. I, 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 I call the Borg space juggalos. <laughs> we're gonna have a we're gonna have a Borg episode. We'll get into it more then. But they they're, they're just a bunch of space juggalos. <laughs> this podcast makes itself. It sure does. Um, so we'll wrap it up. What do you, what can people expect from our podcast? in the future well i think they can expect more um breezy shenanigans and uh half-baked reporting (laughs) that's our goal here we're not as we mentioned i think we're not super you know we're not into the whole uh oh in episode 31 uh picard said this but then clearly three months later something else happened that counteracted that we're not going to be pedantic like that not at all i mean i really feel like i am a uh next generation enthusiast rather than a fan which is not to say that being a fan is bad it's just that fan short for fanatic like i just don't 
I just like the show. I like to watch the show. I don't have to know everything about the show. I just like to watch it all the time. That's my level of investment. We'll do episodes about different themes. Um, we'll do, we'll do, I don't think we'll do series recaps unless there's a show that really needs talking about. Right, unless we need to go might, deep, deep cut into something. We're going to have segments probably. Probably. We're, we're really going to think about this for more than two or three minutes <laughs> before we do it sometimes. Maybe. I think the most, the, the biggest promise is that it's going to be fun for at least two people. The two people exactly. being Charlie and Megan. I look forward to our spouses probably not listening to this. They will almost certainly will not. <laughs> almost certainly. My husband would be like, if I wanted to hear you um, yammer on about Star Trek The Next Generation, um, I would bother listening to you ever. I would turn my head slightly. I would turn my head slightly at dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would make eye contact with you, which I have avoided now, doing for several years. Is Chris a fan? Well, you know, he, uh, I would say that he's a bigger fan than Lauren, certainly. Sure. You know, he likes, he likes shows where, you know, robots fight one another. So this is sort of in his oeuvre a little bit. Right. I wouldn't say Lauren's not a fan, but she certainly isn't at my level. Uh, she won't just sit and watch it. But if it's if I'm watching it, she'll sit down and, and try and annoy me about it. But she will stop talking eventually and just watch the show. Yeah, that's where Chris is. Like, he yeah. likes the show. But he's also not going to be like, you know what? Let's have a podcast and we'll talk about it. Right. Ad infinitum. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's very reasonable. But this is true about him sort of all across the board. He's just like a reasonable person. Right. Very, very level... Level-headed, yes. Real Midwestern. The uh, only unreasonable thing he's ever done is marry me. <laughs> oh, that's not the case. <laughs> Megan, for the for the four people that are going to listen to this, uh-huh. what would you like to? What are you up to? What would you like to plug? My new solo show, Housebroken, is playing at Riverside Theater in Iowa City, Iowa, for one more weekend through April twenty-sixth, and it is a smash hit. I'll tell you now. And then they could go to Grinnell, Iowa, and see it again on May 2nd. And then they could go to Roanoke, Virginia, and see it there sometime in July. Let me tell you. One night only there in Grinville, Iowa? It's, it's one day in Grinnell. This weekend, uh, it's Call Me Lucky, a documentary that I produced, uh, directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, is playing at the San Francisco International Film Festival. That's pretty cool. Um, I will be there. <laughs> it's pretty good. I don't know um, if it's any Grinnell, Iowa, um, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Look, it's all it's all cobblestones on the road of show business. Uh, I'm all, we're also playing in Boston at the Boston Independent Film Festival this coming weekend. I think that's on the twenty fourth. I bet it will kill in Boston. Oh, it is. Barry's from there. Barry Crimmins is our subject, and he is from there. There's a, all the old comedians from back in the day are going to be there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's going to be fun. Um, then we're playing Chicago Critics Film Festival on May first. Uh, May 3rd, we will be at the Montclair Film Festival in Montclair, New Jersey. How exciting. I didn't even know they had a festival. And then some more stuff later on. I think we'll, we'll have done another podcast by the time these other things happen. Thanks a lot. Subscribe and we'll, uh, we'll do more talking. Yay! Our mission is to go forward. And it's just begun. Set velocity. Warp 6, Mr. LaForge. Aye, sir. Warp 6. There's still much to do. Still so much to learn. Miss LaForge, engage.